At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's going on? Welcome into the Friday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson. It's a game day edition of the podcast. Two more games to go, and this will be our second to last podcast of the regular season. More to come as far as postseason recaps are concerned. But Pelicans are in San Francisco to wrap up that five-game road trip. They'll take on the Golden State Warriors tonight in a late one, 8.30 p.m. Central Time. And joining me today is Jim Eikenhofer of Pelicans.com and Will Guillory of The Athletic. What's up, Will? How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, man. I appreciate you guys for having me on as we wind this thing down to an end. Absolutely. And Jim, good to have you on as always. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Daniel. Thanks for asking. You know, I think we're all in a great mood here. It's a beautiful Friday in the Crescent City. Um, Unfortunately, though, you know, the Pelicans were eliminated from playoff contention on Wednesday with that loss to the Dallas Mavericks. So these last two games um, will certainly uh, be a good chance for the Pelicans to experiment with different lineups and young guys. Um, so we'll start there as far as we'll go to you and then we'll go to Jim. Will, what are you looking out for in these last two games as far as whether it's certain players or, or just the way the Pelicans are going to play, maybe finishing out with two wins? What are you looking out for in these last two against Golden State and Los Angeles? Man, the guy that seems to to pop out in my mind, you know, every night these past couple of weeks is Jackson Hayes. Uh, it's pretty incredible to see the growth in his game. Uh, you know, we already started seeing him hit the little floaters around the lane, doing a better job of catching passes on the baseline, uh, stuff like that, not fouling people as much as he did last year. But now we're seeing him shooting threes. He's handling the ball on the perimeter. He's switching out on guys. I, I mean, the sky's the limit. We already knew that for a guy with his athleticism, but to see it all kind of come together the way it has these past few weeks, man, it, it's really impressive. And you just see how comfortable and confident he is in his game. And, you know, we, we always knew with Jackson that it was going to be a process for him to learn the game, to figure out everything he can do, and to see it all come together. I, I think it's really exciting if you're a Pels fan as far as what his ceiling can be down the line. Because when you see him hitting these shots, man, it looks easy. Like It looks like he's so comfortable shooting these perimeter shots. And we already know he can jump and put it through his legs, do 360 windmills. So if he's doing that on top of making threes, uh, man, that's a pretty impressive, you know, front court partner to put next to Zion Williamson. Yeah, I mean, it was like a, it's almost like a light switch with him. You know, usually a lot of times with guys when they improve and they make progress, it's kind of a gradual thing. And not to say that he hasn't done that as well, but it does seem like all of a sudden you're starting to see different things from him, including three-point shots. And it, it, it's crazy to think about, you know, the difference between some of the stuff that he's even tried on the court the last few games compared to earlier in the season, you know, where he, part of the season he was out of the rotation. And I don't think he was really that confident about going out there and shooting floaters and shooting three-point shots. So, I mean, that's been pretty eye-opening what he's done lately. Um, so I, I'm definitely curious to see how he does in these last couple of games, but I mean, there's a pretty long list of other players too, that I'm interested to see how they close the season. Um, Najee Marshall, Kyra Lewis, Jr. And Alexander Walker, Wendy Gabriel, a um, bunch of different guys. 
you know, it's funny. I was looking at for the article that I'm writing today, previewing the game, I was looking at minutes played by various players, young guys on the roster, pre all-star break and post all-star break. And I mean, one of the biggest changes is, it's kind of funny that Najee played eight minutes pre all-star break and he's played 620 after the all-star break, even though he wasn't in the rotation until the very beginning of April. So he missed pretty much all of, of March as far as those games. And Nikhil is another funny one. Nikhil, as we all know, just missed 18 consecutive games with a high ankle sprain, but his pre all-star break minutes is 495. His post is 435. So he has a chance to play almost exactly the same amount of minutes post all-star break. If he plays 60, a total of 60 over these last two games as he did before the break, even though, like I said, he missed basically a month plus of games. So, I mean, if there is a silver lining to the situation lately, it's been just the ability for all these guys to get out on the court more. Um, Jackson Hayes has almost played twice as many minutes after the all-star break as he did before. And by the time he plays these two games, that will be the case. He played three, 311 pre all-star and he's played 609 posts. So, I mean, that's been the most interesting part for sure of the last week or so is just extended minutes for all these guys that didn't necessarily get a ton of opportunities earlier in the season. Absolutely. Um, another silver lining thing that I'm thinking about, and look, it, it just happened Wednesday where the Pelicans were eliminated from playoff contention. I'll start with Jim and go to Will on this. So how important was it for these guys that because Zion was still injured this week, BI has missed some games. He had Lonzo miss last game as well. That not only are these young guys getting minutes, but up until tonight's game, they are getting meaningful minutes as far as they were still competing for a chance at the playoffs. And you saw in these last few games, how hard they have fought to stay in these games and were, they beat the Charlotte Hornets. They were in it till the end with the Grizzlies. And then unfortunately just came up short against a, a good Dallas team, Luka Doncic. But how valuable um, are those minutes for these guys playing in the situation where you are still scoreboard watching and you are still playing for a chance to make the playoffs? I mean, it's big time. And, and I think one of the things that Stan Van Gundy mentioned after the Dallas game, a player that we didn't even get into yet, but I'm sure we'll talk about more um, later on is uh, Stan talked about Didi Lozada getting a chance for him to get on the court, but even as important is the chance for the Pelicans in the front office to evaluate him. So I think for a lot of these younger guys, like you said, it's been very meaningful to get for them to get minutes and get a more of an opportunity, but also for the team to know kind of what you have going forward. And I feel like with Jackson Hayes is a really good example, one of several um, where your opinion of him and where you see him as far as his future individually, as well as how he fits in with the team, I think has changed a lot over the last even just month or so. And Nikhil Alexander Walker, you could say the same thing about him in terms of um, what you think of him in May compared to what, maybe what you thought of him in January when he was in and out of the rotation or wasn't, you know, consistent. So I, I think that's one of the biggest elements of it is, I mean, obviously we're three days away from being in the off season and that's when you start to look at, you know, what kind of pieces do you have? Where do some of these guys fit in? And I think, you know, Najee is a good example too of a guy who's, he's not out there to score. He's, he, he can do that, but he's given you a lot of other things. And I think this is a longer conversation, obviously, but going forward, I think some of this is just about the mix of guys in terms of you have to have a balance of, of your roster and your rotation of players that can do different things. And it's not just about scoring. Fortunately, the team improved defensively 
in the second half of the season, but we're going to need to see a lot more of that as you go into next season in terms of being able to be more consistent and win more games. Well, you will. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, speaking of what you just talked about, you know, these added opportunities to two the guys that kind of came to my mind uh, were Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Kyra Lewis. I, I think the experience uh, that they had earlier this season playing next to Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram is so different from what they're going through right now. I mean, when you're playing with two star guys like that, you're spending so much time kind of standing and watching, waiting for your opportunities. Uh, maybe you'll get four or five shots here or there. Uh, but now it's on those guys that create every single time now. And you see how much is on Nikhil's shoulders. I mean, Jim brought it up. He, the guy missed 18 straight games, and then he comes back, and they're like, okay, you got to run the offense now. <laughs> it is like, you're, yeah, you got 24 minutes, but those 24 minutes, you're going to be working hard. You got to create all our shots. You got to make some three-pointers. You got to defend. And I commend him because he's come back and, and basically hit the ground running. You see what, what a lot of guys with that high ankle sprain, it takes some time before you really get back. And, and a couple guys, you know, they go through re-injuries or you put too much weight on on that side and it hurts the other side uh so i think uh you got to give him a lot of credit and i think it's really important especially for a guy like kyra who it took him a long time to really establish himself in the rotation i really would love to see stan van gundy really trust him in these pick and roll situations just so we can see what he can do and his decision making stan talked a little about that a little bit after the, uh, the dallas game how um, kyra still needs to grow learning you know decision making in those pick and roll situations when to shoot that little floater when to get all the way to the rim when to find guys on a perimeter, that stuff that takes time in this league because the game moves so fast. And, and I think this is uh, really big for those two young guys to learn in those pick and roll situations where you're not just standing around waiting for Zion to make a play for you. You, you can go out there and make it yourself. And once those guys get more comfortable doing that, I think it'll only make life easier for Zion and B.I. And we saw that uh, when Nikhil in particular, before the high ankle sprain, he was out there getting his shots and, and he, he was having games with like 20 points, six three-point and it just made life so much easier for Zion. So I think well, those are two really important things. And man, I've tweeted it a couple of times watching these games, but just seeing the way Wayne Gaber is playing, man, how was he not in the rotation earlier in the season? I think he does so many things that this team needs as far as hustle, you know, hitting shots on the perimeter, defending multiple positions. I, I think they're, they're uh, blessed, I'll say, to have him under contract next year because seeing what he can provide, I think he could be a really good fit next to Zion if you want to play some small ball lineups uh, against these weird front courts. And I think he's done really well with his added opportunities as well. That's a great point bringing up Wynion Gabriel because I, I you know that's John DeShazer's favorite player. If you've been listening to the, the Pelicans broadcast, calls him WB Walking Bucket. Uh, he's definitely been impressed with Wenyan and how he's been playing. So I'm going to make sure to, to take the, uh, a screenshot of this clip and send it to him right after this. Um, but another player, of course, we, we talked about him a little bit, was Didi Luzada making his Pelicans debut. And look, you look at the offensive side, one of five, two points. Look, his first NBA game without any practice, they'll give him some slack on that. But I was really impressed on the defensive side. As you know, in Sydney, his goal was to guard the best player on the other team. And he certainly did that against Luka Doncic in the matter. You can just tell that Luka was getting a little annoyed by how much Didi was up on him, you know, during his 15 minutes. Uh, Will, we'll start with you and go back to Jim as far as what were your impressions of Didi in one game and what do you want to see from him in these last couple? Is it just more of just him getting the feel for the NBA game or is there certain aspects of his game that they're going to keep an eye on these last two? 
Yeah, it's funny. I was joking with some people before that game about, you know, whose debut was more anticipated between DD and Zion because it feels like <laughs> we've been waiting for DD so long, man. It seems like forever since that 2019 <laughs> Summer League where he played really well uh, next to uh, Jackson and, and Nikhil. And since then, we just really haven't seen him uh, unless you, you're following the Sydney Kings on Twitter, uh, you know, get to see some of their highlights. But I think seeing him finally get his opportunity, uh, you're exactly right. Uh, it was really impressive. The defense that he brought the tenacity he played with and his willingness to take on that matchup I mean we know Luka Doncic Stan mentioned it after the game there's there's really no good answer to defending Luka I mean it seems like whatever coverage you throw at him he, he has the code to crack it and Didi just did what all good defenders doing you just get into under his skin you, you get right into that guy every single possession and you make him work hard and that's what you want to see from really good defenders and and for me I, it seemed like he was uh, really at more advanced than I expected as far as knowing when to go under screens, knowing how to go over, uh, how to get back in front of a guy. If you do get screened, uh, I think he showed that he's really uh, improved in that area from his time over in Australia. And of course, man, you could just see the difference in his body. If you look back at those summer league highlights, uh, just a skinny kid out of Brazil, you know, making a couple of plays in transition. And now it looks like he's got some muscle on him and he's able to fight through guys and, and really put his chest into people on defense. So I, I think that he's definitely one of the guys I'm going to be keeping an eye on in these last two games, because if you could just add a, a really good defender at that size, you know, at the price point they have, DD, uh, that's extremely valuable for a team that we all know needs defensive players. I mean, they struggled on defense all year. And if he could be a guy who brings that, you know, from a second round pick, uh, that's a huge add for this team. Yeah. I, th I think the, the sequence with him guarding Luca and looking get Luca getting frustrated was really funny to me. It reminded me of how, you know, if, if you're playing pickup basketball and you've been playing for like two or three hours and there's a, people on the side that jump into the game and all of a sudden they're in your face and you're just like, like, what is, what's up with this guy? And it, yeah. it, that, that's kind of what it reminded me of as far as, you know, obviously Didi hasn't, Didi played basketball this season, but he hasn't played in the NBA. And all of a sudden he shows up and Luca's like, what, what's, what, what's this guy's deal? Like, can somebody tell this guy to calm down? You know, I've been playing all season and now he's in my face. So you know, I thought that was funny, but um, one of the things I noted with Didi from the game against Dallas too, was um, we're going to have to talk to the NBA or whoever does the video clips, because when they share highlights, it's never, it's always baskets, which is totally understandable. It's always dunks and fun plays, but it's never a defender chasing. Um, I think it was Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, or no, it was maybe it was Doran Finney Smith across half court and running, chasing him around screens and I went old school during the game. I recorded the video off of my TV and shared that on Twitter, like a 10 second clip. And that got tons of uh, good response and feedback. So um, it's just funny to see like how excited as Will kind of alluded to how excited people are to, to see him on the court and, you know, the enthusiasm about what he can do defensively. And I also enjoyed Wednesday night, Will and Daniel too, you probably can relate to this, how much Brazil is paying attention I, I, just from the tweets, you can tell like the whole country is on board and they're ready to go and they're fired up. So um, I, I would think, I don't know this for a fact, I'm totally speculating, but I would think that even more people from there will be watching tonight because it's an ESPN broadcast and because now they know for sure that he's going to be on the court and in the game. So those, those Brazil ratings, I think are going, going to go through the roof these next, next two games. 
And I also want to speak to something that a lot of people wouldn't know unless you're behind the scenes, quote unquote, <laughs> like we are. Uh, I remember being in the building draft night when Didi was drafted. And uh, we went up to interview him. Me and Andrew Lopez joke about this all the time. We went up to interview him and I asked him something basically like, hey, how does it feel to get drafted? And he kind of gave, you know, the basic, oh, it feels really good. And then we went into question number two and he literally started speaking in Portuguese. And I looked at Andrew Lopez like, uh, what are we supposed to do here? Like, I have no <laughs> idea what he's saying. <laughs> and like Didi, Didi's English was extremely limited just two years ago when he got drafted to this team. I, I don't know how they really made it work with him in summer league because he, he knew a couple phrases here and there. He can kind of understand what you were saying to him, but he had trouble at times conveying his thoughts uh, in English and talking to him after that game against Dallas. He, he seemed very comfortable with his English and, and speaking to us and answering different type of questions and to learn, you know, a, a language as complicated as English and all of the weird ways we use some phrases and sentences and stuff like that. And learning that in a matter of two years, I think that's something guys like that don't get enough credit for because you also got to learn how to play basketball and how to get stronger and how to compete against these other guys. And then throw on top of it, you got to learn this new language and how to communicate with people who come from a different side of the world. And I think Didi deserves credit for that as well, uh, just because he it seems like he's much more comfortable with his English. And that's a big part of why he went to Australia was to learn the language and being able to communicate with his teammates and coaches. And it seemed like he's coming far away. It's kind of funny to think that, you know, like you, you just mentioned, that's a really good point that you mentioned um, that he went to Australia to learn English because in some ways their version of English is very different from ours. So <laughs> to say the least. To, I'm waiting to hear Didi's come up, coming up with some Australian slang where the other guys on the team are going to be like, we have no idea what you just said because you're, you're, you're speaking the Australian version of English. So that might be kind of funny. If, yeah, if he starts throwing, it, just throwing a whole bunch of mates out there at each other. If he, if he starts saying shrimp on the Barbie, then we know that Didi is definitely <laughs> experienced what Australia has out. But it is fascinating to talk about one. I think, Will, he might've been just avoiding uh, answering one of your questions. So he just started changing up the language on you just so you wouldn't have to uh, ask him another one. question. Exactly. Um, but also it is fascinating because I, you've heard from other uh, international players where they have watched television shows. I think some have watched like episodes of Friends and that's how they learn English or, or watching other TV shows. And that's how they picked up the language. So it is, I, I did, uh, you know, it did stick out to me uh, the other night when listening to Didi about how much, you know, just learning English was, was a big part of him going to Australia. Um, so I, that's a great point, Will. Before I let you go, before I let you both go, um, the playing tournament, that's been the, the buzz these last couple of weeks. Whether you love it or you hate it, it has certainly uh, been the talking point for the NBA. And when you look at the Suns Blazers last night, you know, how much does that game come into a factor if there's no playing? How much does Wednesday's game for the Pelicans and Mavericks come into play for the Pelicans if there's no playing? And of course, the Pelicans will take on the Lakers on Sunday. I mean, that's a very big game potentially for the Lakers, but they also might be locked in at the seventh seed, which is, you know, the defending champs going that play in is certainly um, very interesting in the, in the first real year, especially with LeBron, what he had to say about the play in um, a couple of weeks ago. Jim, we'll start with you on just how I think beneficial the play in has been, but I want to get your thoughts on just uh, what has been the big, the biggest factor for you as far as why you've been a fan of the play in game um, heading into this season. I think, the, the Portland Phoenix game last night that you mentioned was the best example I've seen so far of why it's beneficial. If you look at the way that the league has structured everything in previous years, Portland has a chance to be basically five, six or seven, I believe in the seating, or at least they did before 
last night's games. Um, does it matter that much to a lot of teams if they're five, six, or seven? Probably not. Does it matter it, the way things, the way teams have, have kind of treated their players? It matters a lot more to them that they they rest guys. And the Trailblazers were playing a back to back, so I wouldn't be surprised at all if that exact same scenario happened last season. If Lillard didn't play last night, McCollum didn't play last night, some of their other guys, because it's a late season back-to-back. They played the night before and picked up a good win against Utah. Um, everybody's gearing up for the postseason right now. Um, but instead, what you had was like one of the best regular season games of the season, I think. It was it was so interesting, and it felt kind of like a playoff game. So I, I think that's the my number one thing of why I like it is that it's just added so much incentive to, I know a lot of people focus on the, you know, the 10 seed or just getting in, which has obviously been what we've looked at a lot because of the Pelican situation, but it's had so much of a, of a ripple effect on the team. I mean, Portland's the Portland's the five or six seed right now in the West. So it's not just affecting the teams that are barely trying to get in. It's had such a, a major effect on the, the teams a lot higher up in the standings. I just love the, the fact too, that um, this weekend will be a perfect example of this um, in the, in the East, the teams that are Boston's locked in at seven, but eight, nine, 10, those, those spots are still up for grabs. And there's every reason in the world, if you're a nine seed or a 10 seed to want to be eight so that you only have to win one game, there's every incentive to, if you're 10 to try to move up to nine so that you get to be at home for that single elimination game, instead of, you know, having to travel for that. So I just love the fact that they've built in so many incentives to it. And I I heard someone, I forget who said this the other day that suggested that this is the best innovation the NBA has had in the last 40 years, like since the three point line. And I'd have to think about that for a second, but I mean, the fact that I'm even considering that tells you how, how much I like it, that it's just been so positive in so many different ways. Well, you will. Yeah, no question. And I think, you know, the number one thing for me that it's added is literally these past few weeks, I've heard approximately what zero conversations about tanking. I mean, it's not even a part of the conversation in the NBA anymore. Uh, You know, nobody's talking about, of course, there are a few teams there at the bottom, like OKC, uh, Minnesota, who who are, you know, uh, fading for Cade, as I like to say. But (laughs) I, I think, you know, for the most part, you're exactly right. All we're talking about is these games every night, whether it's teams fighting for that 10 seed teams fighting to stay out of the seven seed we still got a couple spots open as far as that number one seed I think it's been incredible for the NBA and of course we got to mention you know it's a huge win for them the fact that in the west alone you got LeBron's involved in the play-in Steph's involved in the play-in John Morant's involved in the play-in Zion was involved for a while Uh, you got Greg Popovich down there in San Antonio so that's going to be huge once these games actually happen that they're going to have huge names involved and people are going to want to watch these games but even before we get to the actual playing games the lead up has completely changed the regular season and I think uh, the way teams handle these games at the end of the year I mean we've all been around this league for a while we know the last two weeks three weeks of the season is usually uh, just a a tough to watch for the most part just to put it uh, lightly I I think a lot of these teams you're you're exactly right uh, Jim they're they're resting guys on these back-to-backs they're they're looking forward if they already locked their playoff spot in uh, just think, we watched the, uh, the back-to-back between the Warriors and the, the, the Pelicans. If you just look, look at the standings, those are teams that are wearing 9 and 10 in, in the West, and it felt like those games were enormous, <laughs> you know, for the stakes of the season, and that would have never been the case in seasons past, the 9 and the 10 seed having such huge
huge games this late in the year. So I think it's been incredible for the NBA. And I think there's no doubt that they got to keep this going and just hope, you know, they can keep getting these big names involved. Cause man, I, I'm telling you, I cannot watch, uh, I cannot wait to watch Lakers warriors in a playing game and just see the reactions on Twitter uh, from the different fan bases when their team goes down, uh, it, it's going to be extremely fun to watch. And it's going to feel like we right back in March madness, except with the best players in world involved, which is going to be really fun. You know, Will, you mentioned um, the, the tanking discussion going away. I think the combination of adding the play-in round with the flattening of the lottery odds has done an amazing job of decreasing that to the point where, like you said, it's almost non-existent, which I think a lot of people think is a, is a great thing for the league. And um, I, I, you mentioned, you know, the last couple of weeks of the regular season. I think for a lot of fans, you know, maybe not necessarily like the super diehard basketball lovers like us, for a lot of fans, the last couple of weeks of the regular season are kind of like, you're kind of looking at your watch, like, okay, when are the, when is this going to be over so we can get to the real fun stuff? And I think a lot of people just kind of tune out because they're, they're they know that the playoffs are so close that they, they're not going to expend a lot of time and energy watching games where teams clearly just by their actions are not that motivated to try to win or try to put the their best players on the floor. And, and I think that that's a huge thing for the league. Like, if you're trying to sell people on the idea of why the games are important and the teams themselves are just like, we don't think they're important. I don't, that equation doesn't work for me as far as like, why would you want, why would you want people to, why would you think that fans would care when you you're showing every sign that you don't care yourself? So um, I love the fact that it's had a, a huge impact so that basically the season plays itself out all the way through that. It's not like in an 82 game season, we basically play, 75-ish games, and then the last five to seven for every team are kind of like a throwaway. So I love I love that part of it. And, um, you know, one thing Daniel mentioned, you know, he's talked about it's the play-in, whether you love it or hate it. To me, I think it's interesting, and I'm going to get it on my soapbox a little bit here. I think it's interesting that the only people that you could classify as hating it are probably like individual players and individual teams themselves. And so – I'm a huge proponent of that all within reason, all decisions should be made in terms of the league overall on what's best for fans. Cause I think if you, if you leave the decisions up to people within the league, they're going to make decisions that are, that don't make sense. And I'll give you a perfect example. If you, if you let the three of us, for example, um, deter, decide on the league schedule in terms of when the games are played, we'd pick, we'd say that they, they can only play Monday through Friday at 1 p.m. every and every game has to be at 1 p.m. so that we're, we're done with our work schedule by you know six o'clock so what you if you let us run the schedule the NBA would would be like less popular than the than MLS or or something like that we'd be we'd be sitting here saying like how do we get as popular as the MLS in the U.S. oh I just shoot I just offended MLS fans but, uh, but, I would but definitely be saying. making sure we had uh, two, 20 trips to Portland at least. Uh, I would need as many <laughs> exactly. trips to Portland as exactly. possible. A uh, best of seven series in Portland every season. <laughs> <laughs> right. And we, and if it was up to me, we would never play a road game north of like Memphis. That We would never go up to where, any of the areas where I'm from. I would only go there in the summer when I go on vacation. So anyways, that's the long way of me saying that like we get carried away sometimes with like, we should have, we should let the players and the teams make the decisions. It's not about that. It's about trying to figure out what is best for the sport overall and what will get fans the most invested in it. Because if you do that, 
then everyone benefits at the end of the day. And I'd like to add uh, one more point on top of that is, you know, when we talk about the value of those games and this is a little bit of a sore subject for Pels people, but, you know, I think it's really important for teams in that area, eight, nine, 10, it's usually younger teams trying to fight their way up. And I think getting the opportunity to play in a playoff environment is really important. If you're a young squad learning how to win. And one team I think that's comes to my mind is the Memphis Grizzlies and seeing them kind of fail in that playing tournament last year when they kind of had a stranglehold or the eight seed going into the bubble and then going through that experience of losing to Dame Lillard, having John Moran have literally his best game as a pro in the playing game, and then they still lose. I think you see that Memphis team now, they're on a different type of mission this year, and they're right around that same area. It's not like their record is a whole lot better, but if you watch them play night to night, I think they're an improved team, and they're a more mature team because of that experience going through the playing tournament and playing against a team like the Portland Trailblazers and knowing what that's like. I think it's going to help them a lot going into the playing in this year and I think it's going to be easy for a lot of people to kind of scratch them off and say well the Lakers and the Warriors are going to win I mean they got Steph and LeBron but I think the Grizzlies are going to be a real tough out because they know what that experience is like and they know uh, what what it takes to win a, a do or die game because of that playing tournament last year and I think that think that's going to be experience that's really important for all of these young teams that, that get into the playing tournament It's just learning what playoff basketball is like because we hear it all the time from these guys you really don't you don't, don't know what it's like until you're there and until you're on the court playing in these games and just getting a little bit of a taste I think is invaluable for some of these squads absolutely some great points made about the play and the only thing that maybe I would tweak and I would agree with if seven is by far way ahead of eight in a future and maybe just include eight, nine, and 10, where nine and 10 would play and then would face eight in order to get in. Because if you were a seven seed, kind of like the bubble last year, you had to be within, I think, what, three, three and a half games in order to qualify for the play in. And if not, then you would not be able to go play. I think that could be something that you could keep in mind. If there are teams that have run away, flat out should be in the playoffs no matter what, and then tweak it a little bit. So I think that could be something that could change next year. You know, one quick thing I'll say to that I mean, just being realistic too here. When they, when they came up with the play-in idea for the bubble last season, I think the networks for sure, I think it was ESPN, were hoping that there would be more play-in games because as it turned out, based on the rules, there was only one because mm-hmm. Portland just won the first game against Memphis and then that was over. So I think one of the reasons I, – I, I understand that idea from a fairness standpoint as far as the teams, but from a – let's be totally honest, from a network TV standpoint, they want the guarantee and the insur- assurances that the games will happen. So I think that's one thing sure. to that, to think about. But um, but as far as this year goes, they know for sure that there's going to be six playing games. And as Will referenced earlier, it's going to be incredible. I think next week to just watch all those games. And of the six games, four of them will be the 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 loser goes home. So the only ones that won't have that do or die feel are the seven versus eight. And one of the seven versus eight could easily be Lakers versus Warriors, which which everybody will be watching. So. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And, but, but I hear you as far as it, there might be a season it's, it's not this one, but there might be a season right. in the future where the seven seed has a massive lead on the eight. And it's kind of pretty unfair to say, okay, you're 10 games ahead of them, but you still have to play them, beat them in one game. Yeah, for sure. And, and you're not allowed to disagree with me on the show. So we'll talk about that afterwards in production. <laughs> so um, oh, this, <laughs> yeah, you're in trouble. Uh, so this is great guys. I, I know, you know, obviously with the Pelicans being out of it, it could be, you know, tough to talk about these last couple of games. But, you know, there are some things to watch out for tonight and on Sunday. So it should be funny. You can follow Will on Twitter at Will Guillory, of course, all of his great work. 
uh, with The Athletic, his recent uh, article about three players to keep an eye on out. So uh, if we didn't mention them, make sure to go to Will's article and read that. Will, I appreciate the time, and uh, we'll, we'll have some postseason. Let's go to Portland and get some Piazza Italia one day. How about that? Man, I cannot wait. And I'm just glad uh, Jim didn't chide me about half-court shots this time around. Uh, but I'm sure it's coming soon. So I'll be keeping my text inbox open, ready for Jim. <laughs> we'll just do a podcast based on that with the hashtag always heave from Jim. Listen, Mike Jim and can go for 30 minutes about that topic for sure. I- I've heard it in person. <laughs> well, you know, heard it. I figured I would be generous to you today and not mention the fact that Nikhil Alexander-Walker's 70-footer against Charlotte was such a momentum-changing <laughs> Possibly things didn't turn out the way the rest of the week, the way we wanted to, but it could have potentially saved the entire season. So I won't, but I won't bring that up. I'm glad you didn't bring it up. (laughs) I should have brought it up. Actually, that's on me. I should should have been the start of the show. It would have taken up 30 minutes, but nonetheless, still very entertaining guys. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate you guys. All right. Well, it's the Pelicans and the Warriors tonight, 8.30 p.m. nationally on ESPN, locally, Valley Sports New Orleans and radio-wise ESPN New Orleans. And Sunday night, if you didn't know, the game was announced as an 8 p.m. Central tip. And uh, that'll be at the Smoothie King Center as the Pelicans wrap up the regular season against the Lakers. No comment on the time frame for that one. Until Wednesday, we'll have a recap next Wednesday. We'll put a bow on this season. For Jim Eichenhofer and Will Guillory, I'm Daniel Sanderson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Seat Geek. Have a great weekend.